1: And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights, and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode.
0: Hi, everyone. We are, well, I'm really pleased that Callum's joined today along with our guest, David Klassen. And David is the co-founder of Talent for Performance. And David will do a brief introduction in just a second, but um, we're going to be talking about all sorts of things to do with leadership today, from communication to managing stress, logical intuition, mindfulness, losing a large client. And I mustn't forget to add in that David is also a practitioner in brain and behavioral change. So you have a lot to share with us today, David, a very big welcome to you.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's really great to be able to speak with you, both of you, and your audience. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction, just to give a little bit more background?
2: Um, well, it's, it's people are often intrigued that I was a chef for 10 years, professional chef, working in Michelin-star restaurants, and um, managed to get out of that business through just, it was one of those things that was like a bit of serendipity. Met someone who talked about being a trainer, became a trainer, it was first training chefs, And then got into leadership and management. Um, So I left catering as such in kitchens in 1988. And I've been fascinated by people and learning and development and especially leadership and leadership development ever since.
1: And
0: I think we've had an insight into how kitchens operate um, with all the recent programmes or the explosion of programmes inside kitchens. And you think, my goodness, how does a kitchen ever function with the way that people shout at each other and so demanding and very stressful is that how it really is like
2: well it's I can remember I was working in the 80s the 70s and 80s um, and it was very much like that Um, a lot of very very angry people in very hot conditions with very sharp knives and hot pots and pans in their hands yes I've seen people punch each other I've had pots and pans thrown across the kitchen at me Um, And it's a very toxic environment. And now, of course, it's very difficult for people to get chefs. But hey, I must say, it doesn't have to be like that. And the thing that changed things most is having more women in the kitchen. Um, When I was working in Germany and Switzerland back in the early 80s, there were many women who were already in senior positions, you know, executive level positions in the kitchens. And when I came to the UK, practically no women in the kitchens at all. And now there are a lot more women in the kitchens and it's becoming much more sensible for want of a better word. <laughs> it doesn't have to be all yelling and screaming and shouting. It really doesn't.
0: Well, that doesn't bode, bode well, does it, for, for leadership when you... Well, I guess that's how you feel, that it's not a good way to, to lead a team in that, in that kind of direction.
2: Yelling and screaming at them? I don't think it's necessary. I really don't <laughs> think it's necessary. Um, yeah, OK, it's a, an intense environment in the kitchen. I get that. And you know, it's an immediate deadline, and there's a lot of very, very complex pieces coming together that all need to be come together at exactly the right moment in order for them to go out together, uh, as in all the bits of a plate and all the bits of the dish so that everyone can be served at the same time. But it was interesting that in many ways, when I was sort of exploring leadership, I was a lot of the time I was going like, oh, yeah, I know how it shouldn't be done. Let's figure out how it should be done. Um, but another thing I notice is that for managers, it's often really, really tough to think about leadership, to think about their management development, because they're busy doing a job. And I'm glad that I had those 10 years as a chef, because then I, I, I know what it's like to be busy doing a job and to have to look after your people and to have to think about the strategy. And it's this thing of being able to do both and know what your job is, know what the job, you know, the technical bits of the job that you need to execute. But where possible, once you're into a leadership and management role, you need to be really good at delegating. So that's another key thing
1: that I think is really important for leaders. David, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast. I'm really looking into getting into some of the topics we've got set aside for today. And I think the first one that we talked about was communication. I think you your leaders there being a chef and having some experience kind of in the kitchen industry. Industry. I'm not sure that's the right phrase, but you know what I mean. I think that's quite a, an interesting way to kind of dive into that first topic, because I would imagine there's probably some parallels between communication, being a chef and working in kitchens as to either being a leader, and a manager in a business. So I'd just be curious to get your perspective. Like, what do you think sort of some of those, if they do exist, what do you think sort of some of those like parallels are in terms of the challenges and how you actually communicate effectively? Well,
2: one of the things, if I go back you know, 30 odd years or maybe more, uh, to that time one of the things you need to be really clear and concise in mm. your language and giving orders and giving out instructions in a kitchen it's a noisy intense environment a lot of people rushing around and if you're in any way unclear someone will go yes 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 chef yes chef run off and then actually when they get to the place they're supposed to get to come back empty handed or don't do what they're supposed to do because you weren't clear enough so it's a really good discipline to be very clear and articulate, and that's certainly one thing that you need to be as a chef. Um, But also, I think there's a lot of uh, managing your own emotions that's really important as well. And I think back in the day, and I am talking about a long time ago, um, how a lot of those people who I was interacting with, they weren't managing their emotions at all. They were just flying off the handle. They're letting their rage to be expressed. They're letting their frustrations to be expressed, and taking it out on people in a very inappropriate way. I think about it and I began to behave a bit like that um I began to become much more short my goodness the language out of me was just appalling um swearing left right and center and actually one of my friends said to me you know you're becoming unpleasant to be around and I took that feedback and went like oh okay that's an interesting thing to be told by a friend um and actually within nine months I'd left the industry
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as Mum said, you see all these kind of hectic situations on on some of these TV episodes, don't you? And you think, I'm not sure I'd want to be in that position.
2: Well, that's the problem at the moment is they're really struggling to recruit chefs. But I think that, as I mentioned, is there are more women in the kitchens. It's a more balanced atmosphere. It's not this yelling and screaming. It is a profoundly passionate place to work. And if everybody's really into their food and everybody loves what they're doing, there was fantastic camaraderie and boy does a night fly by when you're busy you know the talk we were talking earlier just before we we started the podcast about how time is flying by at the moment but in a busy night you know you come in you do your thing and before you know it you're going home because you're just on fire and i did enjoy that i really enjoyed the the busy hubbub and the intensity of a service uh was really good and i i really enjoyed good food as well but as a chef you don't eat much you don't have time
0: (laughs) What do you think, David, you know, kind of bringing up to kind of today's modern leadership, we have to get the balance right between diplomatic and assertive and frank. Yeah. And how do you think, what tips could you share with us or what are your thoughts on being able to get the balance between those two?
2: It's really interesting that you mentioned that because that's one of the classic behavioral paradoxes developed by Dr. Dan Harrison. And if we think of it as If I'm very frank, I will be direct, forthright, and to the point, you'll know where you stand with me. However, I may come across, if I don't have diplomacy as well, to put into the mix, I may come across as blunt or even rude. And then that'll break our relationship, or you won't trust me, or I'll make you feel uncomfortable so you don't enjoy interacting with me so much, which is a bit like what my friend was saying um, so many years ago. And therefore, we need to have diplomacy and bring diplomacy in so we are respectful of other people's feelings and we're aware of what we're saying and how it may land with them. But interestingly, from the paradox, we can actually see that if I'm only diplomatic and I'm not frank at all, then I'll be saying a whole bunch of stuff, but I won't be getting my message across. And you might be nodding and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then afterwards, like, well, what exactly was he saying? Or what was the point he was trying to make? And I'll then maybe get frustrated. And if my diplomacy isn't working and I get stressed, I may actually blurt out and go, well, it's just this. And, you know, you go like, whoa, what happened to David? Because the stress of not getting across builds up and then bursts out as blunt.
0: So, so how do you manage that?
2: Self-awareness. I mean, it really comes back. It's it's For me, it's fascinating. As someone who's been meditating for quite a long time, so 40 years, I'm... Um, I'm very aware of my feelings. I'm very aware of the early indications of a disturbance in my feelings, feeling anxious, anxiety or stress. And I think a lot of leaders now more than ever need to be more mindful and go like, okay, how is this coming across? How are people responding to what I'm saying? And looking out there and asking as well, is this landing well? How do you like your communication? Am I being clear enough or am I being respectful enough or too clear good questions to ask of people, because some people love being spoken to in a frank and direct way, they, that, that's what they want. And a lot of managers are actually often indirect in their feedback, and then people go like, well, I'm not really sure what you mean or what you want of me, or am I doing a good job or not? You're not being clear enough with me. So it's about having that interaction, almost asking people, well, how would you like to be communicated with? And you know, <laughs> I invite listeners to ask with their partners as well, know your loved ones your closest ones who you love dearly and go like you know is there a way i could communicate better with you and and be aware of sensitivities of time as well because there's times when you can be frank and there's times when you just need to shut up and listen
1: i find that really interesting david because i think we can all probably uh think of a time when we've spoken or engaged with someone who's kind of been at like one end of the spectrum or sort of somewhere in between and how that's kind of made us feel accordingly like like you just shared so let's say you're like a leader or a manager within a business, an organization, or even a kitchen, whatever it might be. What do you think is like the ideal split between being assertive and being diplomatic? And I guess, do you think that's the same in all situations and with all people, or do you think it needs to be kind of modified accordingly?
2: That's a really good question, because the beauty of the paradoxes is that it's not either or, it's both and. Mm-hmm. So I need to be frank with you and tell you what you need to hear. And in the meantime, be respectful of your feelings. If I can do both, I can be what we call forthright diplomacy. I can uh, I can have a behavior of what we label as forthright diplomacy. Say what needs to be said and do it in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. If I'm only one or the other, then I'm I'm a, I'm a bit limited. And it's a bit like I've got one hand behind my back and I'm not as flexible, capable, or adaptive as I may need to be. But if I have both, I can be frank when I need to be, and diplomatic when I need to be. So it's very much trying to be um, have a, uh, be able to exercise frankness and to be able to exercise diplomacy at the same time.
1: Got it. And I think a lot of that, I would imagine, depending on who you're talking with. I think, I've been reading a few books recently about kind of negotiation and how people have this desire to be essentially understood. And I would imagine when you get that kind of split right when you're talking to your employees or whoever it might be, your team. If it's if it's kind of delivered in that right way you're like, you're being frank but you're doing it kind of with respect to some diplomacy as well i would imagine that's kind of perceived in like a much better way than just being one or the other
2: yeah and it's really interesting there's a, a great book written by a guy called chris, um uh chris yeah it's chris weber and chris he, conversational capacity Okay. and um he it's really fantastic craig it's craig weber Um, And we love speaking with Craig because he, he talks again about this very thing, right? He talks about how to be frank and direct while also being clear, because actually he says that the more we do this, the more we create psychological safety. And psychological safety is that where people know where they stand, they feel safe in being able to speak up because they know what they say will be heard without making the leader defensive or other team members defensive. And that can only come when there's an environment where we know, yes, it's safe to speak up. And yes, we all will also be respectful, because if you are offending people, that's not helpful. That doesn't create psychological safety.
1: Well, we, talk, we talked about the start of the podcast about time flying by, and time's already flown by on this podcast. I think we talked a lot about communication, but there's one thing I'd like to dive into, because I don't actually know too much about it, and it's the Stockdale paradox. Ah,
2: I don't, yeah.
1: Yeah, I saw your face light up there, David. So I'm going to hand over to you. I think for our uh, listeners as well, I'm sure there's probably plenty of people that aren't familiar with that either as well. So could I hand over to you and kind of explain a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, the Stockdale paradox is, again, very interesting with regards to optimism and pessimism. So uh, James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And I believe he was the prisoner of war who had the the record for the longest incarceration in very brutal conditions. So he was, um, I believe, a jet jet fighter pilot was shot down and captured by um, the North Vietnamese and held in really brutal conditions and, you know, very uncomfortable, um, a lot of death around the place. And he managed to stay optimistic while facing up to the brutal facts of his incarceration. And he didn't just go, oh, I'll be out of here soon, which a lot of his um, fellow prisoners did. Oh, we'll be out by Christmas. You know, we're Americans. They'll come and save us because we're going to you know, get away from this. Christmas would come and go and they wouldn't be saved. And then oh, we'll definitely be out by Easter. We'll definitely be out by Easter. Yes, 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 we'll definitely be out by Easter. It's all going to be fine. And then Easter would pass. And he said that after a couple of years, a number of them simply died from a broken heart because they were always wanting and desperately needing to feel that they'd escaped soon, but it didn't happen. And they weren't facing up to the brutal facts of the situation, that how bad it was. And yet he said, have this faith in being able to persevere and survive, keep your wits about you, and stay relentlessly optimistic, but not blindly optimistic. So really noticing the facts of the situation and then trusting that you are going to prevail from within. And I think that's really important this time of the pandemic and you know, the, the, the volatility of the economy. The volat- goodness knows, you know, we could have a, a war break out and that, that might be a very strange war. It could be a sort of a cyber war or who knows. So the world and the economy is still very fragile, and we need to be alert and aware and yet stay optimistic that it's going to be, it's going to work out and it's going to do well if we keep our wits about us, maintain self-awareness and, yeah, interact with other people respectfully.
0: You said in there, David, it was that trust. I mean, he was a prisoner of war for yeah. over seven years, um, which is a, it's hard to imagine being in those conditions for that long. And you said one of the key things was that he tr- he remained optimistic. There's a fine line, I think, between being overly optimistic and optimistic. But he trusted in himself. Yeah. Now, that's actually can be pretty difficult to do when all around you is falling to pieces or you're facing a massive challenge. So, how would you recommend? anybody who's in a very difficult situation now or finding some challenges in their business or get recovering from um, their business not being so successful during covid how what steps can people take to be more trusting in themselves
2: it's a really good question it's a bit of life's work really is to become more trusting in ourselves excuse me i'll just take a little sip it's about that self-awareness that focusing on the little things in life that are still working you know you're you're still alive you've got your health you've got your well-being how can you utilize your strength because it's really interesting when we get stressed we become less resourceful so there's something about being able to stay calm enough to have our resources available to us our memory our experiences our the, the connection of of creative ideas to resolve problems, connections with other people, so that we're thinking about what are the resources I have around me, how can I access those resources and utilize them fully? So a lot of that has to come from some faith within yourself that, yeah, look, I do have this, I do have this, and I do have this. These are the bits that are working. Let's focus on what's working rather than what's not working, and think how we can then overcome the problems. So I had in my very first business, I'd been 10 years as a chef, two years as a trainer, and my job was made redundant. So I set up my own business quite naively, but I lasted four years. But then we hit the recession of the early nineties when in that recession, most businesses simply cut their training budgets. That was the, the, the recession where everybody cut their training budgets really badly, really sharply. So I was like, oh my goodness, I've got no clients. Because I had one big client and they said, no, nope, stop working with us. I was a contractor. And, uh, you know, within mm, a couple of weeks, I, was, I knew what it was like to have a panic attack um, because I was walking down thinking, oh, my goodness, um, I don't have any work. I can't pay the rent. And I'd have this beating in my heart and go, like, I'm feeling seemingly anxious and I haven't been drinking any coffee. What's going on? And then go, oh, right. So this must be what a panic attack feels like. And then I spoke with my father and my sister, and my sister gave me a loan and I could pay my rent. And I said, you know what, get a job. Just the easiest way to get out of this is to find one big client who will pay me a regular, sal- you know, a regular monthly fee, salary. Um, so I started applying for jobs and I got a job quite quickly. Um, and that was great because then I spent 10 years in employment again, learning lots of new skills. And then I went out on my own in 2004 again and then I knew have a broad base of clients. That was a really important lesson for me. So it's that ability to look at your, what, what you still have, what you, because there's always something to be grateful for. There's always something that is still working and build on that as a foundation. And then lots of little steps on that foundation would be my recommendation.
0: Well, those are good recommendations, um, I think, to really think about that. There's always something positive in life, whatever is stressing you out. But I also think because you're you've got the brain expertise you now you're 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 a certified brain and behavioural um, expert. I think the point that you make is very interesting. That when we are stressed, our brain isn't functioning at its best. It's almost cutting the brain down, I presume, in in a way. Is it kind of not making all the neuro connections that it that it could be making when we're more relaxed?
2: Absolutely. So the studies show that when we get a lot of adrenaline into our system, the body goes into a be super alert because danger is coming. So we go into either what's sometimes referred to as a fight or flight mode, although that's not all the time it's it's about super readiness to either to take rapid action. And that means that a lot of blood flows away from some of your other certain organs into your um, muscles. But also away from your skin, interestingly. And when I discovered that, I thought, why would the blood disappear or go away from your skin? Because you know you can get cold hands when you're stressed. Is actually in case you get or in case you have a cut, there'll be less blood flowing out. Um, but the thing I'm interested in is what happens in your brain. And what happens in our brain is that the the energy and your thinking, you you have less access to your thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex, and you make accidental connections, and then whatever connections you make. You have a pessimistic bias. So I could be, uh, in the early days of uh, lockdown when we were having to do all online training, sometimes a lot of people wouldn't have their screen on, uh, their their cameras on, and I'd be like, oh my god, they're not looking, they might be doing their emails, they're not attending, and I just was able to mindfully be able to be aware and go, oh that could be really stressful for me, and then I'd start to make errors, and then I'd start to imagine them doing those things. So I said, no, cut that out, I'm just going to have everyone who's listening totally engaged hanging on every word and really enjoying it and then i'd be more relaxed and able to do good things rather than spiral into a decline so when we get stressed essentially we make accidental connections in our brain we get a very narrow focus so we can't see the big picture and any connections that we do make tend to be um, with a pessimistic bias so we always think the worst is going to happen oh you know rebecca and and carl uh, Carl aren't aren't um aren't speaking to me they're not listening they're not attending, and that's just all stuff i'm making up and there's there's no
1: reality in it there was one one thing you said that was all very interesting david there was one thing you said prior to that which i think links on quite nicely to our sort of like next topic kind of like the intrinsic and extrinsic motivation Uh, yeah and I would quite like to go on to that because I find it quite, I guess, like from a perspective, you were saying, you know, you had this business, everything kind of went to pot essentially. Uh, and I think at that point, I guess having that like internal motivation within yourself to keep going, I think is, is quite an important thing. And then like, I guess linked with the extrinsic motivation, the way I interpret that is like, you know, it's very easy to be motivated. I guess when things are going well, everything's positive and, and going all right. But I think having that like intrinsic motivation Is kind of there, it needs to be like present, I guess, when times are tough or difficult. So I just kind of be curious to sort of get your thoughts on that and kind of understand how you've interpreted it.
2: Yeah, so there's been some very interesting research by Sheldon and a bunch of others who actually discovered that when we have intrinsic motivation, which is about helping us to become a better person and, you know, to become the best leader or to become the best husband Mm -hmm. or to become fit. Let's, you, fitness is a good example. So if I'm intrinsically motivated to be fit, and I've had the intrinsic motivation to be fit now, especially in the last two years, really. It's first doing a little bit of walking, now I re- run regularly every morning, go to the gym twice, swim, do my yoga every morning. And my wife's going like, you do a lot of exercise. And I go, yeah, actually I do. But it's not to lose weight. It's not to look good. It's to be healthy and live to 104. That's my goal, because then my wife and I will be able to celebrate our 75th wedding anniversary. Um, So, And that's just a bit of fun, where if I had an extrinsic motivation for the fitness, oh, I need to lose weight, or I want to look good, or, you know, things like that, it becomes a chore. And it's always like, if I then lose the weight, and I go, great, I've lost the weight, the best I'm going to get is a sense of relief, I've lost the weight. But then there's going to be something else. So extrinsic motivation tends to be for something that you try to achieve, a specific thing you try to achieve for a reason that's mainly to do with looking good or having stuff or having more things where intrinsic motivation is more about the way that you're being, being your best self. It's, It's a sort of longer term sustainable journey where extrinsic motivation tends to have an end point and you either do it or don't. And if you don't get your goal, you'll feel a lot of stress. And if you do get your goal, the best you're probably going to feel is a bit of relief. Where if you have intrinsic motivation, it's just an ongoing thing that you're doing. Now, what the scientists have found out is that the neuroscientists, when we have intrinsic motivation, it's actually driven by a neurochemical called dopamine, which is the anticipation of a reward. Some people refer to it as the reward uh, chemical, but it's not. It's actually the anticipation of a reward. So when I've got dopamine, I'm excited and motivated to take action because I'm anticipating something good happening. And they found that extrinsic motivation tends to be driven by adrenaline, which is this fear-based sort of, you know, fight and flight threat response. And that tends to go high and low and high and low where the dopamine can give you a longer sustained motivation. The extrinsic they found, not only does it peak and trough, but they found that the people who are purely extrinsically motivated suffer worse health outcomes so they tend to get sick more often they might even have uh, ailments or more you know physical ailments and things like that it's so extrinsic goals and extrinsic motivation isn't very good for your health
1: it kind of sounds like that i guess there's like pros and cons to both maybe one's slightly better for you generally than than the other how does that kind of link to mindfulness and, and being aware of how you're feeling and reducing your stress levels and just sort of generally being a healthier person?
2: Oh, I think it's everything to do with it, because if we can look and see what are we aware of, what are we, mm-hmm. you know, the more aware and self-aware we are, the more we can tap into, well, what is really important to me? What are my values? What's, mo- mm. what's most important to me? And then to reflect on, well, if I want to be a good husband and live a long time, I'm going to have to look after my health and not do really stupid, risky things. Um, if I wanna be a good husband, I need to think about, well, you know, what are my partner's needs and how can I be a better partner? Or if I wanna be a good successful business person, I need to study how to be a better leader and a, you know, a good business person, learn how to sell and learn how to um, manage a team, learn how to delegate, depending on what sort of business I want to run. So the more mindful we are of our own personal drivers, the more we're able to do that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yes. It's back to what are my drivers? So I, you know, I could ask you, what's most important to you? What's most important to you?
1: Good question. I think it would very, uh, in this situation right now, having a good podcast and uh, making sure you've had a good experience, I think. Exactly, <laughs> right? And then I could broaden the context
2: and say what's most important to you about work mm-hmm. or shift context and go, what's most important to you about relationships? And then you can begin to say hmm, yeah what is most important to me about relationships who do i need to be in that to get that and ask so i'm very interested in values and how they actually drive our behavior but most people aren't very aware of their real drivers of behavior their real values and it's useful to ask that question you know i'd invite listeners to say ask yourself or your partner what's most important to you about relationships and hear what they have to say and it's important that you put the emphasis on the word most because then the brain will actually filter out the, the few things, one or two things that are actually most important. It'll prioritise for you. So that's useful. What
0: would, you, would you recommend this as a leadership technique to ask your team what's most important to you? Absolutely. I
2: always encourage managers to ask all of their people what's most important because you're tapping into what drives them. And if I want to delegate something to you, and then I need to be able to delegate that. I need to know what is it that you want, and then I'll wrap whatever it is that you want into you getting more of that by doing the thing I want you to do. And if I can't make that Mac, if I can't make that um, mix, then I'm going to go. Mm, how do I motivate you? So I need to find out other things that it, that motivate you. Because- I think. Go on.
0: Sorry, David. You go. Well, it, it's just.
2: I believe that all human beings want something that's most important to them. And if we can tap into that, then it's like that's energy. And then if you can tap into that energy, everyone will do more of what's good for, you know, combined relationships and and work and achieving things together.
0: And I'm sure every parent knows how to apply this to their children. They know what's important to them, so they wrap it up in, well that specifically you can have this when you've done that because I know that's important to you
2: exactly that yeah so intuitive we often know what's important but as adults it's really useful to just simply ask the question yeah
0: um
2: and you know for anybody who's got a manager who's listening to this ask your manager what's most important to you and then they'll be easy you know make yourself easy to manage is always has was always my theory when I was um working Because I I need to know what's most important to my manager and what they need, what are the criteria they're looking for or need met. And then I give them that. Then I've always had a great relationship. Well, mostly had a great relationship with my manager, because then I become someone who's easy to manage. I'm not a problem, you know, problem person. And I get more of what I want then as well.
0: I think that's such um, a valid point, Dave. I don't think um, enough people consider that. They don't consider managing upwards. They didn't consider managing their leader. And it should be a key part of what you do in a role is actually be thinking about what, how can I manage my leader? How can I make myself more? How can I serve my leader better? Absolutely.
2: And a leader will always have someone they need to manage, right? Be it shareholders or stakeholders or Mm. whoever it is. There's always someone, clients, who needs managing. And managing expectations, I think, is huge, because if I know what my client wants and what's most important to them, I can make sure that that's always met. And if I know what my manager wants or if I know what my partner wants, it, it's often surprisingly easy things that, you know, you can easily uh, meet without some big expense or something. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the way that you phrase things. Or it's doing that little thing like getting back to them really quickly or giving them a information in the way in the shape and form that they need be it be bullet points or a longer report
0: in all your experience of training and leading teams and the work that you do yeah what advice would you give your younger self knowing wow. what you know now so what maybe two or three things that would be also pertinent to um to our listeners
2: That's really interesting. I think it's consider the hats you wear. Consider that you play a number of different roles and knowing when you're playing one role versus playing another. Be that person at work, person at home, uh, be that manager or subordinate um, compared to you and your manager. And, you know, how can you be both and? So I can, at work, I may need to be like a, a bit like a friend, like a comrade or someone like with someone together and we're in this together. But there's other times when I'm going to have to be like, well, I'm responsible, I'm the boss and therefore you're not performing to the required standard. I'm gonna to have to tell you that and have that relationship of being able to put on this different hat and say like, I'm in boss mode here and I need you to do this and have a, a good you know, sort of mature conversation around that and not shy away from it. Because sometimes when we get too buddy-buddy with our uh, subordinates, or I don't like that term, team members, um, it can sometimes they avoid the difficult conversations. So another one that I was thinking about was, you know, consider in your own work how, yeah, you need to be able to do different things. So, for example, a different part of the brain is used when we're thinking about people. And then a different part of the brain is used when we're thinking about business and tasks and things like that. So rather than trying, we, we know we can't do both at the same time, but make sure I'm allocating enough time to these things. Are my people okay? Great. Is the business okay? Great. How can I move elegantly from one to the other? And I suppose finally back to, you know, what you were saying earlier around being self-aware and recognizing the importance of being okay with yourself, not beating yourself up unnecessarily and striving to grow. Because if, I, if I'm very self-assured and like, I'm OK, then I might, if someone gives me feedback, go like, ah, they're wrong. I'm right. But always be open to feedback, always be open to growing and welcome feedback. You don't always have to agree with it, but to be able to be that person who has a growth mindset, I suppose, which is listen to the feedback and continue to grow, but don't beat yourself up unnecessarily. Also recognize your strengths and, and be comfortable in that.
1: I really like this point, David. I think as a, a that ties into like a lot of the different uh, points that we've discussed in this podcast. I guess like being in that mindful state to be willing to receive that feedback, and I think as well like we talked about briefly in the pandemic, and I heard someone mention this a while ago. You know, we're all working from home. We don't really have travel. There isn't really like different transition periods. Like the office is the workplace. You know, you're on a Zoom call, and then the next minute you're like in a family situation, and like putting those different hats on for the different roles that you're in. And there was one thing you said about at the end about the feedback and I read this in a book recently and I need to get it right. But someone said something like, you know, take take feedback seriously, but don't but take it personally. And I think I can be guilty of receiving feedback and being like, oh, well, I don't agree with that. So or, you know, taking it the wrong way. But I think that's quite a good way of like thinking about it, like take it seriously, but, but don't take it to heart.
2: I think that's a really good way to 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 really wrap up everything that we've been saying, which is always be open to the feedback. And take it seriously but not personally because you're more than some more than your behavior you're more than that bit of feedback or that one instance of situation that you have with a person or a task um i really like that yeah that's definitely one to keep uh, in your mind is and a lot of people struggle with that they do take it very personally because they don't have that self-esteem within them to know that they are actually a good whole and complete person within themselves
1: well, I guess if it's been delivered in a diplomatic way, then it should be easier to do that, shouldn't it?
2: <laughs> and that's the important of it. Yeah, that people can actually hear what you have to say and mm-hmm. not reject it outright. Because if we're too blunt, you know, the, the words bounce off people because they simply cannot listen to them. Sure.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. As we kind of draw towards the end of the podcast, David... Um, well, I'd love to just kind of like throw the, the, the floor back over to you. Is there anything in particular around leadership or communication or mindfulness or anything like that that you'd like to sort of share with our listeners? Any sort of closing thoughts or, or remarks?
2: Well, it's been an interesting conversation the way we've, you know, weaved in and out of a number of <clears> things, <throat> things around the paradoxes, around this notion of both and. So we're living increasing, in this increasingly complex world. And even the whole notion of all the states in the world needed to say, well, what about the health of the nation versus the health of the economy, which is a paradox. And it's both and, and different people have done it in different ways. I'm not going to get into that now. But as a leader, we need to be able to balance these things and incrementally do both rather than just get all stuck in one or the other. It's no longer a world of either or. It's really a world of both and. And that makes your brain hurt. So then you need to be mindful about your brain and go, yeah, my brain is hurting and I'm more than the emotions that I have stirring up inside of me. How can I be mindful? How can I remain conscious and use my thinking brain uh, creatively to resolve the issues that we have in front of us? And I think if you can do those two things of staying mindful, getting these, what seem to be opposing things and know that it's both rather than either or, um, that'll be really helpful with self-awareness behind all that.
0: Thank you, David. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you and follow through from this podcast, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: Yeah, um, we've got the website, Talent4Performance, which is the word talent and then the number four and then the word performance.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn um, as David and then the letter C and then and with a K. K-L-A-A-S-E-N. Love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So do connect, but do say that you you know, you heard me on the podcast because I get lots of invitations. It's nice to know specifically where it came from and why you want to connect, but I'm very happy to connect with people. And really, yeah, leaving people with the thought, especially what we believe is happening at the moment with a lot of people considering and reprioritizing their lives. There's a lot of people changing jobs and a lot of them are leaving a manager rather than an organization. And in order for you to be able to keep your people, think about all the things that we've been saying and really find out what drives them. What do they need? And talk to them about their goals and their aspirations. Um, In fact, because we're launching a program at the moment that's training managers to do that. So if anybody's interested in that conversation about how to get managers to have that conversation in a deep and meaningful way, in yet asking a few critical questions and how to respond to those answers, uh, get in touch. Love to speak to you.
1: I think that would be a hugely beneficial uh, piece of information there, David. And what's the best way that people could find that? Would that be on your website?
2: Yeah, get in touch. We're just putting the uh, final touches together for a webpage for it, but it, get in touch, and we'll be able to have a phone call about, about it, yeah.
1: Amazing.
0: Thank you very much. I've, it's been a very engaging and interesting conversation. As you say, we've weaved in and out of really important leadership topics with very practical tips which I'm thank sure you. our listeners will really appreciate. So thank you very much for your time, David. It's thank been you. wonderful to have you as our guest. Thank you.
1: Yeah, same for me, just to kind of second what, everything, what everyone said. Um, I really have enjoyed the kind of movement between the different topics and that, uh, yeah. A big thank you for your time, David, thanks very much. I've really
2: enjoyed speaking with both of you. It's nice, I haven't done that very often. It's nice having both, <laughs> both perspectives, really good. Thanks. Amazing. Thank, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.